Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. Hey everybody, and welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host, Max Cantor. Today on the show, I have someone who is a writer, he's an actor, and he is a comedian living up there in New York City. Now, he studied and performed improv at a ton of different theaters, like the Washington Improv Theater, or if, if you like acronyms, that's the WIT, uh, the People's Improv Theater, once again, if you're an acronym person, that's the PIT, uh, you have the Upright Citizens Brigade, once again, for my acronym people out there, the UCB. And finally, he also studied at the IO Chicago. There's no acronym needed there because that's its name. So please welcome to the show, Bill DePiro. Welcome to the show, Bill. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. Great to be here. I'm excited uh, to talk to you. Now, I can tell you also, too, why I'm excited to talk to you is because uh, I have a lot of guests who refer other people. So you are like my third tier out of my like people who I know, because I interviewed Mark Kendall, who's a local comedian in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Mark referred me to Cassidy Russell. I -hmm. talked to her, and Cassidy referred me to you. So you're like the third outer layer of people I know. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Nice little web work connections (laughs) there. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Um, But now just to jump right into the interview uh, to start off with, you know, growing up, what late night shows or TV really influenced you in your comedy? So I would say the biggest one was SNL. Um, I also, when I was even younger, I, I remember watching all that, which is like a kid's version of SNL. And Keenan was on it, I think, from what I remember. I used to watch that all the time. Also, Conan was my favorite of the late night. Uh, like the more traditional late night hosts. Mm-hmm. So and uh, uh, okay, yeah. I remember the last one would be Letterman because I remember there was a big sort of fight in my grade school of whether Leno or Letterman were better, and for some reason everybody in the class thought Leno was better, and I remember that being weird. And I remember talking to my dad. He's like, "No way, Letterman's better." <laughs> So did your dad and both your parents influence what you were watching when it comes to like SNL and Letterman and all that? Yeah, definitely. Would you watch Um, it with them? Not really. I don't think so. Maybe occasionally I would, but it was often like by that point I'm getting shipped off to bed. Depends on how old we're talking, but maybe more once I was getting into like high school age, I would watch SNL with my family. And we'll do that now even when, you know, back home for the holidays or whatever. Mm -hmm. When you would watch these shows, especially like the sketch shows like SNL and all that, Mm -hmm. would you ever try to replicate what they were doing or you try to write your own sketches that you would hope one day would be on the show? Yeah, I did. (laughs) I did a decent amount of that. Trying to think. I remember in high school, you know, we got our first camera and I would try and make different videos. I had like a religion project one year and I did a Wayne's World style (laughs) uh, (laughs) explanation of the book of Genesis. It was very, it was very stupid. And I used a lot of like direct Wayne's World jokes and stuff. And then I remember there was, um, 
I played football in high school and I wasn't particularly good at it. But one of the things I would do is I would memorize sketches and I would recite them. So I would do like the, uh, if you're a hot dog and you're starving, would you eat yourself? <laughs> and I would like perform that during downtime and rehearsal or practice. Wow. Okay. So you, yeah. so <laughs> how, did, yeah. how did the other football players, would, would they, how would they react to that? Like, did they think it was funny or were they like focus up on the, the task at hand? Uh, they thought it was funny. I mean, a lot of it was walking, um, back and forth from the practice field or whatever, mm. but some of it would be like on the sidelines if they're like practicing something specific mm-hmm. and we weren't in or like, we were just kind of killing time watching. I mean, I think the coaches would be like, hey, quick, grab Asin over there. But we, we would, you know, perform these different bits for each other. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if there are any other ones. I definitely remember doing some of those Will Ferrell ones. It's like that Harry Carey sketch. Mm-hmm. So, it's like a Weekend Update character. So when it comes to, like, Letterman and Conan, you mentioned them as well. When you mm-hmm. watched their shows, was that primarily for the sketches and they were and the bits? Or did you watch it for, like, the monologue or the interviews? What attracted you to it? Hmm. I think that those shows, those like guest pieces were usually what I thought was the most fun. Um, I remember the classic in the year 2000 bits mm-hmm. on Conan were some of my favorites. Uh, there's just kind of like the absurdity of it. And like some of the characters he would have come out, those always stood out to me. Um, that was kind of... I think more than just like standard monologue jokes, those were the kind of things where it was like, what is going to happen right now? Or just like, you know, in the year 2000, that's just sort of like a very dramatic setup for just like, like kind of an absurd statement. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember which ones I had seen. I remember there was one joke. <laughs> I don't know. This isn't necessarily the best joke, but it was, I thought it was very funny at the time, but it was like in the year 2000, uh, doctors find out that carrots don't improve your eyesight, but it's still number one for a deep rectal itch, (laughs) which is like, you know, to like a, uh, early teen boy, very funny. Right. Right. (laughs) So did you ever try to write your own in the year 2000 jokes? I don't think I ever did anything that exactly. I never did it quite like to that point, but but you would you would yeah. write your own sketches and material and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, do, do you remember uh, some of the earliest sketches or bits or characters that you wrote? Let me think. I did. Um, I mean, there's so like absurd i remember there was one that was like me and my cousin made it and it was sort of like a crocodile dundee or or not like a steve Irwin parody Mm. and it was like with my brother's hamster (laughs) and then at one point like he gets really mad and like kicks the hamster ball down the road Mm -hmm. like down the hill but it was like, we make it look like the hamster's in it, but, you know, then we, like, stop the camera, take the hamster out, then kick the ball down the hill right. <laughs> sort of thing. 
So these aren't particularly good sketches. <laughs> I mean, there was one we did that was sort of like our own anchor man that we made during, uh, there was a hurricane happening. So we like did our own one where we did like the intro video with like all the guys like being introduced, like spinning around and stuff. And then right in the middle of shooting it, the hurricane stopped. So we filled up buckets of water while our one friend Mark like stood there being like the on-site reporter and we just like dumped water on him from off screen. Uh, um, yeah, that, that was kind of, I guess like an anchor man, like us recreating anchor man there. But we did a bit where it was like the camera always would start and we were like playing pretty, pretty princess or something. You know, it's like we never were ready when the camera was on. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else. So those are all very, uh, just the ideas you were telling me, those are all very like silly and absurd ideas. So was that the yeah. type of comedy that you were attracted to, was the silly and the absurd? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I remember, I mean, it was a lot of just like um, these one-off jokes and stuff. We like filmed another one where it was like, we were like running it's like guys running at the very end of the marathon and then someone gets hit by a car we have one of our guys <laughs> like it's just like you know very short but that's all it was uh-huh um uh it's very stupid i guess some of that has some money python in it where it's like just like the least thing you'd expect happens kind right. of thing right yeah Man, those are those are all funny ideas. How old were you when you were like filming and writing these? Uh, we were probably like sixteen. I think it was like that uh, fourteen to seventeen period. Okay, and like yeah. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, because like that was by the point where we had cars and were able to go <laughs> like run them into each other. <laughs> but um, yeah. There was just, like, a group of guys. And I think, like, the reality was that a lot of us didn't drink, so we had to entertain ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we ended up making these very dumb videos. Uh, yeah, I wonder if I have some of those somewhere. They must be on, like, cassettes yeah. back home. That it, I I would love to see them. I, as I'm sure, yeah. I, I'm sure for you too to rewatch them and to see where you started and where you are today. I'm sh sure that would be super cool. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, totally. So, so what was that like? Because I've talked to a lot of comedians who they say, like growing up, especially in high school, they were the only person who was interested in comedy. So. Do you think it helped you and to develop your own sense of like your comedy style? It helped having a group of friends who all supported each other in making comedy? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think that it was like that was part of it where the fun of making the comedy was kind of getting a group of people excited about an idea enough to go do do it or make it like i remember one we like it was almost like sort of a prank i guess but we all marched down the street to one of our friend's older sister's house and we're picketing out front of the house like chanting save the whales or something it was, i mean it's like 
it's just like very silly like high school boy stuff mm-hmm. but then we like picked up our one friend and carried him on our shoulders all the way back uh there was another one we did that was about my one buddy dave dave he uh we would joke that dave was um in love with himself <laughs> so we uh made a video dedicated to how much he loved himself it kind of like hit some normal sketch beats you know like i didn't know anything really about sketch at the time but it was like he woke up and um you know, his mirror has a bunch of pictures of like, you're the best person in the world. And just like these sticky notes, he's like, you know, then he goes to a, I forget exactly. He like, it's just like a bully. he like shoves somebody into a, like a pond. And then I remember one thing we were adamant about was that he smoked four cigarettes at the same time. <laughs> I don't know, just some sort of like, he's just like a crazy narcissist. Mm-hmm. And he like, it's at college and had to, write a paper about or it was a high school paper about some major influential figure and he wrote it about himself and he got you know i don't know it, it's kind of all over the place but it's sort of like a day in the life of this uh egomaniac mm-hmm. but i think he like saying meatloaf i would do anything for love to himself i don't know there's a bunch of <laughs> there's a bunch of little things throughout it so with with your group of friends, that group of friends where you were making sketches and comedy, um, yeah. did, did you know at that age, were you like, okay, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be a comedian? Or was this kind of like a, I'm just doing this for fun, but I have no interest in doing this the rest of my life? Um, I think it was just for fun. Okay. You know, I mean, at that point, you you know, that's not... I'm even just like now being like, how do you do this full time? Because it's not the easiest thing in the world to pull off. Mm-hmm. But it's, um, there are, um, you know, we had all been doing, or a lot of these guys were all doing theater together. So we would do musicals or like our high school had like a, like a straight play in a musical every year. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of us got involved with it around the same time. And that was like sort of like that brainstorming of ideas was that, that stuff all kind of like came alive there. And it was really fun. You know, I think there was an element where we all sort of thought like the plays and musicals were a little lame, but that was the point of it almost mm-hmm. like committing even harder to being in, you know, whatever dumb singing and dancing thing we were doing you know because like musicals like the comedy is usually pretty corny it's usually cute and not actually funny <laughs> for the most part right but it's interesting because like i mean this might be going off of the like did i think i could do this professionally or or as a career um the answer to that is i don't think any of us would have thought that it was just like a fun thing to do and then there was an but like later, like um, during college, me and two of my friends who I met or who I would been doing those sketches with, we wrote a full play, like a musical together. Wow. Um, and then had a lot of those same people from our high school in it. And we did like a, a whole run of it. It was really fun. Wow. Well, well, that brings me to my ne- my next thing that I want to get into, and that's you in college. So did you yeah. and your friend group, that comedy friend group, did you stay together when you went to college? Or you guys all kind of like broke up? 
We all went to different places. I'm uh, from Steubenville, Ohio. There's a college called Franciscan University there. Mm. And a few guys went there. One of the guys went to Ohio State. I went to Notre Dame. So we were all kind of like in different places. But one of the things was um, this musical mm. that we wrote, which all started because my buddy Chris Madden um, and my buddy Tim, these are the two other guys I wrote the musical with. They were lifeguards together. And I guess Chris would pre play pranks on the other people in the, uh, and like in their like lifeguard stand. Mm -hmm. He would hide in, I guess it's, I don't know, they're like break room or whatever. He'd be like perched up, hidden in the corner of the room. And then when somebody would come in, he would scare them basically. <laughs> so, um, and this was like, right before he went abroad. So Tim was like saying, what if, uh, it was like, it would be funny if when Chris went abroad, he got turned into a vampire. Cause he was kind of like acting like a vampire at this, uh, um, at this pool. So that's kind of the musical we ended up writing. <laughs> it was based off of this like very stupid idea of like, what happens to two best friends when one studies abroad and gets turned into a vampire? <laughs> So we wrote this whole world where it's like, you know, Tim and Chris are best friends. Chris goes to study abroad in Transylvania where he meets my character, who's a vampire, teaching botany. He's like on sort of like a witness protection program. <laughs> and then he ends up, you know, biting Chris and turning him into a vampire because it's like a sort of thing where... Because he was never able to have children himself, he has turned Chris into a vampire to be his surrogate son. <laughs> and then Chris like rebels and goes back to America, and I follow him there. Then it's like, I don't know. It's a, I could tell you the whole story, but it's like basically what happens to this friend group, these two best friends who are torn apart by this like guy turning one of them into a vampire. How difficult is it to write a musical? It's pretty hard. Um, you need somebody who can write music, you know? Oh, yeah, and, I guess uh, that's true. Yeah. So, fortunately, Tim is Tim was really good at it. And we had, like, the right type of... I don't know. We sort of wrote a lot of the parts for the people that we knew mm -hmm. and knew that they would be good at. So, you know, um, that's what was fun about it, really, was that we were specifically writing it for these people for this purpose, it gave us kind of a deadline, but it still took us like a year and a half or two years to write. I mean, not constantly. We weren't seeing each other very often, but it was like during the summers we would, you know, instead of like going and getting internships wherever, we would stay back home and do that. And it was uh, really fun. It was, um, I remember I got my wisdom teeth out, so I had to be off work for a week. So Tim and Chris would come over and I, for some reason, I think we were like, I had like a piano in my room. It like got moved out of our living room into my room. <laughs> so we would just like stay in my room and write for hours. I mean, the original process was like, we went to the same diner, Al's diner every day and none of us had drank coffee really. So we were like drinking bottomless cups of coffee and just like shaking. <laughs> Just because, like, I don't know, if you're writing, you drink coffee. Right. <laughs> but we, like, would just... Basically, the thing we did is, like, we would find, like, different big scenes or kind of, like, set pieces that we wanted to happen or different things that we thought would be funny. And then we kind of just filled in the details in between there. 
So we kind of like, and we would do, um, you know, at the time I had, wasn't really improvising at all, but essentially we would improvise scenes and then we'd be like, write it down, write it down, you know, like sort of like hurriedly like being like, Oh, before we forget it, let's put this down. Right. Um, and Tim would come up with like general like chord progressions and we would sort of riff on them and stuff. And so we did that for like a year of kind of like, just like generally generating ideas. And then after a bit, we started to like type them out um, and then do rewrites on each other's scenes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a lot of sitting around and riffing to get like what we thought was funny about it down. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And, and then eventually we had like a month before the show and it wasn't finished. And then we got into, went into overdrive because right. we had like booked the space and started and it was pretty stressful because we had to like rehearse it all and like we were still finishing it, oh, but it ended up going off really well. Did you ever, I mean, at the time, did you ever have hopes that maybe it would one day be on Broadway or be off Broadway or it would turn into this like global sensation? So we um, are, we had our uh, drama teacher from high school. She came and she watched it and she really liked it. And she said she thought it'd be very funny and like good for like colleges or high or like these kind of like, like it's like a vampire musical. And then one of the other guys gets turned into a werewolf just because we like it's a mess that happened to him too. Mm. But he, it's, so it's kind of like, I don't know if kitschy is the word in that way, but it's sort of weird. So she was like, she could see it living in that sort of a world. Like, we never really saw it as a Broadway, Broadway thing. The one thing that we did say, and this was the goal that we wanted for it, was that we wanted one high school sometime down the line to put it on. And we wanted to go in white tuxedos together. <laughs> that, that was it. That was like, the goal was... We don't need this to be big. We don't need to make money off of this. We just need to wear tuxedos mm-hmm. to a high school premiere. <laughs> <laughs> did Did you ever get that premiere? Did that ever happen? We haven't. We didn't have it. Part of the problem is that the music isn't really fully written down. I think we're even now still trying to do this like 10 years later. I think we did this originally. Yeah, it was 2007. But Tim just taught it to somebody. Oh, wow. So, like, we had one of our friends who has, like, perfect pitch and can sort of, like, play by memory or, like, um, he's just, like, a very talented musician. So, Tim just, like, showed him the songs and sort of wrote it down, like, and, uh, yeah, so there's no, like, real sheet music at the moment, which is, you know, I don't know how you pull it off. I guess when you're just doing it for yourselves, that's, like, you're able to do it that way. Right. And what is I, I just realized we went we talked this whole time about this musical uh, without saying the title of it. So what's the name of the musical? Oh, it's called Teeth, a monstrous musical comedy. Teeth, a monstrous musical comedy. I like that. Yeah. I think that's super cool. <laughs> hey, there's uh, there's some clips of it on YouTube if you're curious. Okay, uh, I think it's called Teeth Musical. Is the I think is the uh, thing. We did it twice, different locations. So, okay, <laughs> they're I, pretty blurry videos. It's not great video quality. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely. Not only will I look it up, I'll also put a link to it in the bio that I write about you in the show. That way, <laughs> that way, everybody can go take a look at it. 
It's very dumb. <laughs> Enjoy it. So after college, well, did you get involved in improv in college? Because I know you said you hadn't gotten involved with it like in high school. So was it in college that you got involved or after? Um, really after. I started in 2010, but I did a little bit in college. So I did this um, in Notre Dame. I did a TV sketch show called Late Night MD with Joe Quazala. He's uh, one of our other friends with Cassidy. Oh, okay. Um, and, uh, you know, at that show, I think we had a little bit of improvising. I mean, there were certain things that uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, a lot of it was like desk piece characters. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, they'd be loosely scripted or some of them more tightly scripted. And, um, and I think I did improvise with them like a couple times. They had a group, but I didn't do so much of that. I ended up doing musicals in college as well, which who knows why. <laughs> but I probably would have been better off doing actual comedy. But <laughs> Notre Dame didn't have a ton of stuff, and they, that sketch group was the the mostly fun one. Mm. That was like the best best of the groups. So what attracted you uh, to improv? So I started doing improv January 2010. I had seen a show, and I had also just, like, had been working a terrible job. This was my first job out of college. It was just really soul-crushing, and I ended up talking to some old Notre Dame alumni, and the guy was, like, managing director at some, like, TV studio or something. I I can't remember exactly, but he... He told me that he thinks that improv's great, even as just like an outlet. Um, and he found it helped his creativity again after having been sort of like stifled for a bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that definitely appealed to me because I was, I think part of why I was so unhappy was that I was working as a paralegal and just hating what I was doing and very stressed about like, the environment I was in and I wasn't doing anything creative. I had sort of like put that aside, but, and, but then doing improv and I started, I took two classes at IO that sort of like, you know, brought me to life again. It gave me shows to go watch and, you know, it's, it's interesting how things sort of loop back around. I would go and see these shows after my like Sunday rehearsal or a class. And we would, um, go watch this show that Jordan Klepper was in, in Chicago. And then like years later, I had him at a, at a, as a teacher here in New York. And then I just, you know, my writing partner now works on his show. Oh, wow. um, Which is cool. Mm -hmm. So it's like, um, yeah, that's more of a tangent, but yeah, didn't really do improv in college, did it more afterwards. Mm-hmm. Really sorry, January 2010. So you were at IO, and then from IO, where did you go? Got a job in DC, moved to DC. I was there for two years. Um, I was a wit, jumped in at level three there, took the next like two classes, eventually got on a Herald team to auditions. I, um, I was on a team called Hot and Sweaty. I didn't name it. <laughs> they're still, I think they're still going strong in DC. Um, they, uh, 
Yeah, and then I eventually was. So I did, I think, one or two Herald teams, and I got moved to a weekend team, and I was teaching there as well. Okay. So I did that for two years. And then, how and, did uh, you how did you make the transition from Washington to uh, New York City? Made the transition when I, you know, I'd been there for two years. I'd gone and seen the Del Close Marathon, which was like this legendary improv festival in uh, New York that UCB runs. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it at all. It's like a 48 or 52 hours of consecutive improv Mm -hmm. over the course of a weekend. Um, And having seen that and then just kind of, you know, moving pretty quickly through... um, through things at DC, I felt the desire to like go and challenge myself a little bit more, see how I fared against, you know, I guess top level competition, other people who wanted to do this and make a career of it. Cause DC has a ton of really good players, but a lot of people are also like very happy and settled in their careers mm-hmm. and they're working at like, you know, sort of like top level government jobs or their attorneys or whatever. Which is great, but I, that wasn't really the path I wanted to be on. Right. And uh, Cassidy and I were on a team, and we won this three-on-three tournament called Fist. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a bracket March Madness-style tournament. And, uh, yeah, I think that was part of it, where it was like, all right, I won this. There's not really anything else I want to accomplish here. It's uh, feeling like time. And then all my other roommates who were my who I went to college with were moving on to law school and stuff. And it just, you know, I could feel the winds of change and I had to make the jokes. Mm-hmm. So when you got to New York city, that's when you became involved with UCB in the pit. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And what, what was that jump like? Cause you were talking about how, like you were saying the people in New York city, it's hot. It's more competition. These are, these people are for real. So when you got there, was there a time where you were like, I'm far behind. I don't feel like I belong here. Or did you feel like you were thrown right into it and you landed comfortably on your feet and you were good to go? Um, I think I went with a sense of purpose mm-hmm. and I, it took a little bit to feel my way through, but I almost did it with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. Maybe, you know, I was interning at the pit and I remember people sort of ignoring me or not remembering my name and stuff. I was like, and some of these people I had seen and I'm like, I'm better than these people and they don't care about me. You know, like I was a little like bitter about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I almost said, like, I'm going to be running this show someday. Kind of feel. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what to say. But, um, you know, I, I think with the UCB classes, um, I had been doing improv for two and a half years. And some of these people, you know, in a level two class, mm-hmm. had been doing it for like two or three months. So I did not feel in over my head there. Mm-hmm. I felt like I stood out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt the same way at the pit, too. Where, and I was taking both of them simultaneously and kind of like pretty intensely doing that, going to see shows, formed an indie team, had a whole, you know, found like different groups of people that I really connected with. Um, so I felt like I was able to just jump right in uh, in a way. 
Mm. Okay. Now, when it comes to an improv scene, um, when you hear a suggestion, what walk me through your process on how you take that suggestion and craft it into a scene. Yeah. Interesting. So, um, I mean, I will either look, I'll like either just sort of like reach far in the back of my head and try and find something that the word elicits, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's a feeling or a place or maybe if it's something funny, usually you don't want to come out with too much of a joke ahead of time because off a word, that's pretty tough. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard to convey what you're even talking about and why it's funny so quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, ideally, if I can come out with a want or a, you know, or just build out the base reality, which is like a who, what, where, mm-hmm. that's what I'll do. And maybe I'll like want to have some sort of an attitude or a general feel to it. Mm-hmm. So it's like. Yeah, I guess it depends on the word and the way it strikes me and whether I'm doing an opening or if it's just like an organic scene. Mm-hmm. You know. And I was also, when I talked to Cassidy, she talked about how in her scenes, she wanted the audience to come away and feel something. Uh, do you mm-hmm. do you agree with that? Do you agree about having that truthfulness in your improv scene? Um, I think that... I don't think I walk away from shows being like, I hope they feel. Mm-hmm. And Cassie's a great improviser and she's, I would say better at that sort of thing than me. Um, I'm usually trying to, I almost think of it more technically uh, in a, where it's like, if I need to present like a real world start, I do like to start in a very grounded real place usually Mm -hmm. because otherwise it gets like kind of like i don't know it's that's sort of like embarrassing kind of uh i don't know i don't want to walk out being the goof troop guy i think that it's like kind of a humiliating thing to watch (laughs) unless someone is very good at it Uh um like i'm not trying to yuck it up i so I do want to have something like really be able to create a real situation because then off of that, something funny usually shows up. Or maybe I'm coming out with like a, maybe not my life, but a sort of established genre thing. You know, we all know kind of the rules of these types of movies or TV shows. So you can play off of that um, known reality. Mm-hmm. So you're, I don't know if that's making sense. Yeah, so you're you're about taking like reality and putting it into your scene, or at least helping you form the base of your scene. Yeah, totally. Okay. It's um yeah, because I think like in UCB there's a term or a phrase blue doesn't show up on blue, where it's like if you're gonna paint with a if you're gonna use blue paint, then don't use a blue canvas mm-hmm. because you're not gonna be able to see what you're doing. The metaphor there is like don't come out and be like, we're in crazy town already if you want something else to be what's funny. You can't do like 10 funny things on top of each other mm-hmm. that are all sort of like shifting the reality at all times, you know, mm-hmm. unless that's literally the joke you're making of like realities keep shifting. Right. 
Well, I have. So I've read uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade, their comedy manual, the book that they have. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I know that their model for improv, and it, it just is exactly what you're telling me now, is to start with that base reality, so something that's mm -hmm. real, that's genuine, and then you have that unusual or weird event that happens, and that is what starts the game in the scene. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That first unusual thing. Totally. Right. So when you're, because I know you're you're a teacher and you teach around New York City, um, mm -hmm. when students come to you, what's the biggest problem that you see most students having when it comes to improv? Um, I guess it's probably like people just being afraid. <laughs> I mean, it, quite honestly, it's um, depends on what level you're teaching, mm -hmm. but. Um, yeah, it's either like being afraid or just sort of like joyless with it. Mm -hmm. Because improv needs to be playful in order to be funny. And if you're kind of like coming out too robotically, it's not going to... So you can say all the right things, but it's just going to fall super flat. Mm -hmm. um, you know... And I think that there's like a difference between those gut level laughs and those kind of like, ha ha ha. Yes. You said the Ninja Turtles kind of <laughs>, laughs, you know? Uh -huh. um, yeah. I would say that those are the big things, but a lot of like what I teach, I think probably goes down into a demystifying process. So I think I try and get to that in a roundabout way. Almost. I'm not doing a ton in my classes to like, I don't know, not a ton of like positive reinforcement and like building people's like emotions up. It's more like you can do this if you, and it's simpler than maybe we make it out to be, or maybe it appears, you know, it can feel really challenging and overwhelming, but rest assured that you have the tools to succeed here. Mm -hmm. So that is kind of the uh, place I'll operate from as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And so as a teacher, because um, I, I feel when you can, when you are ready to teach, it means you are comfortable with knowing and you have a ton of information to give. So for you personally, mm -hmm. um, when you're in a scene that is either not going well or it's bombing or it's not getting laughs, what are some techniques and tips that, that you've learned over the years to save a dying scene? Um. Save a dying scene. I would say I would speak to the reality of the situation. Sometimes scenes are dying because you're not addressing like the most obvious thing, you know, or it's like you're so worried about holding on to like some weird idea of what you think yes and means that you're not willing to just be like, hold on, everything is crazy right now. Mm -hmm. You know, just kind of just taking a step back and reassessing things. You know, I think it can give you uh, a little more. You can also emotionally commit. I mean, I remember when I was in IO that every time someone, I don't know if it was just like the class I was in. I mean, everyone was pretty early. It was like level one and level two. Um, every time something was going bad or someone didn't have anything, they would just be kind of like, Hey, it's so good to see you. And I honestly don't know if it's like, 
I think it's kind of a bad move. <laughs> it's fine. You know, it's fine. It's not particularly funny. It's just like, oh, I'm not getting laughs, so I'm going to turn this into, like, not a comedy scene. This is just, like, a sweet one. Right. Um, which isn't really what I do now. I don't, I don't think I'm usually ever going that place. Unless it is, like, I'm just going real with something. But that'd be more in, like, a two two person improv show where it's like, you know, we got a little more time together, but mm. yeah, saving a scene, call it out, pick one thing, simplify it and heighten it. You know, those are kind of the things that I would do in that case. And if it's any, you know, and then the other would be like double down, whether it's, um, my commitment or like emotionally and then pray for that edit. If it's that bad, <laughs> you can always throw up a button line and hope people get what you're doing. And mm-hmm. <laughs> depends on how well you know the team. Mm-hmm, true. Um, and I know, um, in addition to you teaching improv and doing improv, uh, you're also a big writer. And um, recently, f- your your TV pilot for Crime Boys was a mm-hmm. uh, 2017. Uh, what is is it? The New York. Uh, television festival is that that's right is, yeah you were an official selection for that so talk about what crime boys is and how you got uh that accolade yeah so this year zach uh zach goldbaum and i wrote crime boys and uh, we were both unemployed at the same time and we had some free time so we dug up an old web series we had been working on with our buddy Michael Green before he moved away. And we took it, we looked at it and like sort of scrapped it and started over, but kept some of the basics of it. So basically it's about uh, three idiot friends who dream of being great criminals, but they're like so dumb that they get in their own way. It's like a very broad comedy in a, the good sense of the word. It's like very joke heavy and silly kind of has a Mel Brooks feel to it. Oh, um, cool. And we had written it like in a live action cartoon way, sort of like Detroiters or something like that, or Stella, one of those shows. Mm-hmm. But we ended up like through the course of it, deciding that it would probably work best as an actual, actually as an animated show. But yeah, the pilot is about these guys trying to rob a bank. And so then not yeah they're bumble bumbling through it. So when you wrote the show and you submit it to this festival, d- yeah, do you actually produce the show or it's just all about the script? Uh, this was just the script. The New York Television Festival has a uh, pilot competition to it as well, mm. which are produced pilots. Okay. So they they have like number of screenings, but the uh, script competition is separate, and that's what we submitted to. Okay, and so because you were an official selection, does that mean that uh, like channels start looking at the, your pilot? So as part of the uh, festival, there were a few different like components to it. We had the ability to submit um, New York Television pitch so it's like there would be different channels that would request pitches from people who were official selections whether on the script or on the produced pilot side mm-hmm. um uh we had submitted one to hulu which and then they didn't take it but you know we like created a pitch packet for it and 
I'm currently re-editing that just to send other people. And then as part of it, there are different um, production companies or channels that can reach out and request meetings with people, and we did a couple of those. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're you're really yeah. making progress when it comes to Crime Boys. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, we have a dream of uh, having, like, two minutes of it animated, but, you know, we're still very early in that. We haven't reached out to anybody to do that yet, but, mm-hmm. you know, I think it could be, uh, it'd be cool to see it come to life, and that might be good to, like, sort of, like, close the book on that script. Right. But, yeah. Well, that's very cool. And who knows? Maybe one day we'll have to have you back on Talking Late Night to talk about your premiere on a station. I mean, let's hope. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you'll be the first person I tell when it happens. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Good. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> so uh, as one of the last things I want to ask you, because I know you've done mm-hmm. improv all over with so many different theaters, so many different people. Yeah. Um. Do you know or can you think of the coolest moment you ever had in improv? So like either a favorite scene of yours or someone you got to perform with that you just thought was amazing. Just your coolest moment in improv. So I'd say the coolest thing in improv was when my indie team, Jimmy Fedora, went on a run at Cage Match like two years ago. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I was not yet on a UCB team. Um and I really wanted to be. And Cage Match, I'm not sure if you're familiar, it's like an uh, audience vote determines the winner, and then the team that won gets to perform again the next week. Mm-hmm. So it's that's like how it all works. And um, so we, we ended up winning through Indie Cage Match. So <laughs> I don't know. This is all a bunch of New York-specific details. And it, well, let me just explain the backstory so it seems cool when I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> and it might not, but so there's Indie Cage Match that's at the UCB East Theater. And then you had to win three of those in order to win your ticket to real, the main cage match. Uh-huh. So Indie Cage Match is just against other indie teams. Cage Match has the other house teams in it. So those teams would have our teachers in it you know, people on the stepfathers and all, like, all the top teams around. And then there's, like, a whole, you know, you just want to keep winning and playing as much as you can. Mm-hmm. So we won through Indie Cage Match, which was really exciting. And we, you know, and then we got into Cage Match, and we were up against a team called Grandma's Ashes, who several of our coaches and teachers were on. So, and they were favorites, and they had won, like, 10 in a row or something like that. And we went up against them and we ended up winning and it was like crazy because, you know, I think there was a, it was one of those moments where the pressure of the situation, we rose to it and we Mm -hmm. came out with like a ton of energy and, and, um, it's really cool to rise to the occasion in those kind of moments and the team clicked and we ended up winning five more or four more and it was, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. That, well, that is pretty cool. Yeah, that is a pretty awesome moment. It's like all the hard work you've been working and you know practicing, training, and then you get rewarded for it. So that is pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, it was big. <laughs> I loved it. So as uh, 
as the show is wrapping up here, um, my final question for you is a question that I like to ask every single guest because every person's answer is completely different, and it gives not only me but anyone listening a really good perspective on you know what you think about working hard to achieve whatever you need to achieve to be happy in life when it comes to comedy. So the question is, um, if you were to give one piece of advice to somebody who eventually wants to be in your shoes, what mm-hmm. piece of advice would you give them? I would say the main thing would be try and stay consistent with it. Um, and I think a lot of people don't start things because they're afraid that they might fail at it. And I think that if you work at something slowly as you go, you know, it's like a, like a steady pace. It doesn't have to feel like this all or nothing sort of thing. You don't have to give up your life uh, in order to be creative. And I think it helps to be in a city with other people mm. who also want to do this. And I mean, for improv specifically, I would say be on a team with people that you like and genuinely think are funny. Jimmy Fedora was a team that I almost like handpicked. It was like very particular about who was on the team and like how we were playing. Mm-hmm. Just because like it was just like a group of people who I thought would be who would really fit together well and like playing with each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a value to kind of like doing your time, but at the same at the same point, it's like just play with people you like. You're going to climb and get better faster that way. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's a couple pieces of advice, but. Yeah, but no, I totally agree. And we could take all those little pieces of advice and just smush it all together for one giant piece of advice. So good work. <laughs> um, yeah, But awesome. now, uh, Bill, for anyone who maybe is interested in taking your class or learning more about you or your writing, mm-hmm. um, how can they find you online or in person? I uh, live in New York. I perform on Herald Night at UCB, so come to see those shows. Tuesday nights, the new UCB Theater in Hell's Kitchen. Um, you can check out my website, buildapiro.com, and uh, for all the other social media stuff, I'm just at buildapiro. All right, perfect. Well, Bill, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And to anybody listening, remember you can find us on our Facebook page at Talking Late Night. Visit us at our website at www.talkinglatenight.com. And you can also find us on iTunes where you can rate and leave us a review. So thanks again to Bill for being on the show. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. 